Well, good morning. You know what? I've never preached an ordination sermon before. So when Pastor Adam, was it a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, <laughs> asked me to preach at this most significant occasion in his life, I thought, what do I preach? I'm sure Pastor Pete here has done several ordination services before, uh, I'm sure. Well, I could preach to you, Adam. Actually, he's the one getting ordained, right? So I could focus my message on him. But since uh, Adam worked with, him, with me for 10 years, he's heard plenty of sermons from me. Uh, also, since I was his mentor during his licensing period, he's heard enough from me, although I did try to be a good listener over the many breakfasts and lunches we shared. In 2020, when this uh, celebrative occasion was supposed to happen, I believe Pastor Adam was preaching through the lectionary. So I had decided back then to use the gospel lesson from the common lectionary for that particular Sunday as the basis for my sermon. And actually, you heard that lesson read this morning. It's the account of two disciples, one of them named Cleopas, on the road to Emmaus. And I began the sermon. Now, I promise you, I had not done the sermon. I began the sermon. And I just did the introduction, basically this, and then I, when the COVID thing hit, I set it aside. So guess what? You get the completed sermon this morning. I know some of you are probably saying, that is a weird text for an ordination, but uh, anyhow, here we go. Three words came to my mind, or come to my mind when I look at that passage, and they are word, and if you're taking notes on your sermon notes, you can write these down, word, fellowship, and resurrection. And I believe they apply to the set-apart ministry to which Pastor Adam will be ordained this morning. I believe you will see that as we look at these words, these three words this morning. They also apply to each of us, really, really, as we uh, open God's word and look into it this morning. As I read this passage about these two disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's about a seven-mile journey, Scripture tells us. The following hymn came to mind. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. And that brings me to that first word, word. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Let me translate that for you. We've got to read God's word to know what he's up to and to know who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. Now, there are several ways to be with Jesus. Jesus is among us this morning as we worship together. Maybe you had a, a daily devotional early this morning or you will later on this evening. Jesus is, can be with you then. But another way to be with Jesus is to spend time in his word. You heard read to you this morning. Then Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter in his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus takes these Two disciples back to God's word. And he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Back in 2018, a whole three years ago, 
According to a book written, then in America there were 1,780 commercial TV stations, 15,503 broadcast stations, 1,300 newspapers, 2 million billboards, 5,000 movie theaters. Worldwide, there were 7 billion cell phone subscriptions. And listen to this number, this is mind-boggling. 1,276,011,353 billion, that's billion, billion, friends, websites. And I have no doubt that that number has grown exponentially in three years. There is a lot vying for our attention, friends. There is a lot vying for our attention. Andy Crouch was uh, the former senior editor at Christianity Today, and he spent several weeks away from all screens, not just the phone, but the laptop, the tablet, the email, and TV, all the digital companions that you and I have on our journey through life. He kept his phone for the ability to message his family and friends, but compared to my normal life, he says, in which a rectangle glowing in front of me seven to nine hours a day, it was a dramatic and initially disorienting change. Now, you might expect Andy's description of this time away from screens to focus on what he missed about all the things he gave up. Instead, his recollections are about everything he gained during that season. He worked on his piano skills for the first time in 20 years. He exercised and read great books. He finished some projects around the house, but the biggest blessing of this season was a small measure of attention, which Andy describes this way, an ability to calm the noise enough to read and cry over a story or to listen with a friend to one short passage of God's word, read over and over four times with long silences in between. And the prerequisite for all that kind of attention, though I would not want to exaggerate, he says, how much I managed to attain it was a sense of my own smallness. Did you hear the scripture this morning when the brother read it? And they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I know you're going to say, well, the guy's telling me to read the Bible again. You, you bet I am. <laughs> you bet I am. You can take that to the bank. Because I will confess in my own life, that's not a priority in life anymore. There's so many things vying for our attention. Does your heart, does my heart burn within us when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word? What a glory he sheds on our way. After this sermon, Pastor Adam, as your shepherd, will be asked this question, or something like this. Sometimes I know Pastor Pete rephrases these questions, so it's something like this. Adam, will you be constant in prayer, a faithful interpreter of the scripture, a pursuer of truth, and a proclaimer of the word of God as it is understood and practiced by the church of the brethren? And friends, that only happens by spending time in God's word. 
But, you know, really, maybe that's not only a question that needs to be asked of Pastor Adam. Maybe that's a question that needs to be asked of all of us this morning. So that first word is word. That's easy to remember, isn't it? Second word is fellowship. Darrell Bach, in his commentary on Luke, observes when we come to verses 28, where uh, they're approaching the village, and, and the disciples ask Jesus to, to stay, out, stay a bit longer and have a cheeseburger with them. He says, it is in the intimacy of fellowship that Jesus is recognized. And then Bach notes that fellowship is a theme in Luke. And he goes on to say, many of the resurrection appearances he describes are associated with this table fellowship. As Jesus sits at the table, takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them, their eyes were opened, Luke tells us. In his book, When the Church Was a Family, Joseph Hellerman, both a professor and pastor in California, talks about how the individualism of our Western culture has done harm to the family of God. For example, he points out that uh, the Apostle Paul used the expression, our Lord, 53 times in his epistles. You know how many times he used the expression, my Lord? One time. One time. Hellerman quotes Cyprian of Carthage, a saint of the early church. He who does not have the church for his mother cannot have God for his father. And then translates that quote into his own words. He who does not have God's children as his brothers and sisters does not have God for his father. Christian author and pastor A.W. Tozer wrote, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be, were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. It was Jesus who said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There was a, uh, there is a doctor from Harvard who's interviewed numerous stroke patients. And he observes that far too many stroke patients consign themselves to a more private, solitary life in the wake of a stroke, not out of practical inability, but out of shame. The shame is an old American disease whose current day symptoms, including an epidemic of loneliness and rising deaths of despair, are becoming impossible to ignore. He says post-stroke isolation is one more symptom badly compounding the damage done by stroke itself. Studies show that stroke patients' networks tend to contract in the wake of a stroke. Why? The causes are not perfectly clear, but we can say this. Too often in America, we are ashamed of being weak, vulnerable, dependent. We tend to hide our shame. We stay away. We isolate ourselves rather than show our weakness. Sometimes medication can help stroke patients overcome their shame, but he concludes the better healing would be to teach stroke patients to teach ourselves that interdependence is nothing to be ashamed of. It's our birthright and the source of some of our deepest strength. You know, folks, there's a lot of difference between independence and interdependence. And it's more than just T-E-R. 
I think we have become so focused on independence that we have forgotten in the church that we need each other. And I don't care what political spectrum you are, if you like the vaccination, if you don't like the vaccination, if you like the mask or don't like the mask, we need each other. Our Lord, not my Lord, our Lord. We just, if you want to talk about independence, go to Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And Paul's not talking about the church there. He's talking about sin. Now that's independence. That's independence. Being set free from sin. That, that, that's the kind of independence we should focus on. Pastor Pete's got to ask Adam another question. Will you attempt to live honestly and openly and justly with your brothers and sisters in this congregation? Will you seek to be sensitive to the needs of each person? Will you work diligently to fulfill your assigned responsibilities? And will you represent this congregation to the wider community in a way that will embody the teachings of the New Testament? And I know he's got to ask Adam that question, and Adam's got to respond with God's help, I will. But man, maybe that's a question that needs to be asked of each one of us this morning as we sit here. As we sit here. Interdependence. Oh Lord, how in this day and age does this church need each other? Do the churches, do the churches need each other? Then there's resurrection. Thank God for resurrection. What do you say? Amen. They get up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Because of Jesus' resurrection and the promise of my resurrection and the promise of your resurrection, we will walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Many of you are familiar with Joni Erickson. Tata, some of you have probably heard her speak. Nancy Guthrie recently interviewed her. Of course, a diving accident in 1967 left Joni, then 17, a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And in the interview, Joni expressed an interesting perspective upon what, about what she's looking forward to. You look at me in this wheelchair paralyzed for 52 years, and most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to your new body, which is promised in Scripture. And yeah, that's one of those fringe benefits, but I'm looking forward to the new heart, a heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases, a heart free of fudging the truth, a heart free from hogging the spotlight, believing my own press releases, a heart free of not believing the best of others, a heart free of caving into fear or anxiety about the future. I can't wait, I can't wait to have a heart free of sin, resurrection, brothers and sisters, when you and I 
will have a heart free from sin. Wow. Word, fellowship, and resurrection. I think they apply to an ordination service. I think they apply to Pastor Adam. I think they apply to you and me. And so, Pastor Adam, I'm going to stop now. But before I do, I am going to speak to you. Okay? Just for a few brief moments. It's a special day for you. It's a combination of a lot of hard work. And I know that personally. I've walked with you for the past 14 years. Being a husband, a dad, and working toward this day has not been easy. And I know that Katie and you have worked very hard together and have made many a sacrifice. I can attest to that, friends. I can attest to that. So let me conclude with some words from Eugene Peterson in a book that maybe you even read. Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Eugene Peterson, the uh, one who translated the message. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. I'm going to leave this little town far behind and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and I'll go to college and see what they know. Then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. I quote from George Bailey in a movie that you'll probably all be watching in two months from now. It's a wonderful life. Well, as it turns out, George is wrong. He doesn't know what he's going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. As it turns out, what he's supposed to do tomorrow is pretty much what he did today. God's plan for him is to do the ordinary thing, which of course is the last thing that George wants to do. If you remember another famous scene from the film, you know that George wants to lasso the moon. Peterson writes, I thought about George Bailey last night when I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about God's will, something I haven't thought about for some time, not seriously, not in that obsessive way that I used to do when I was a college student, wondering about God's plan for my future. I don't think much about God's will because like George Bailey, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year. At least I think I do. Get up, go to work, come home and have dinner with my wife, take a walk, try to think of something to write for my blog. Goals that are, for, for the most part, pretty low on the horizon. Here's the irony. I'm doing everything I dreamed of doing back when I was in college. I married, I'm married to someone I love. I'm teaching, writing, and preaching, but it's not in the way, and frankly not to the extent that I imagined when I wondered what God's plan for my wife would look, life would look like. In those days, I was aiming for the moon. God's will revealed the constraints and necessities of ordinary life, have compelled me to lower my expectations. I wanted to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. His agenda for me seems far more commonplace. This has not always been easy to accept. And he recounts the story of uh, the fourth century church father, Gregory of Nyssa, whose brother Basil had arranged for him to be made the Bishop of Cappadocia, a place like out in the middle of nowhere. And Gregory objected, 
Peterson writes, he didn't want to be stuck in such an out-of-the-way place. His brother told him he didn't want Gregory to obtain, to obtain distinction from his church, but to confer distinction upon it. And is this not what Christ wants for us as well, to lower our sights and put away our lasso, to seek the good of the small places in which he has placed us, and to confer distinction upon them by serving him with humility there? The path of glory is an often obscure one. It's the way of the cross. And I got to thinking about this word ordination. And then I got to thinking about the word ordinary. Wow, they sound an awful lot alike, don't they? And I did some research, and they actually come from the same Latin root, ordo, or order. It's interesting, isn't it? You're about to be ordained to a high calling that God has placed about upon your life. And yet, is this not what Christ wants for us as well, to lower our sights and put away our lasso, to seek the good of small places in which he has placed us, and to confer distinction upon them by serving him with humility there. The path of glory, friends, and Adam, the path of glory is often an obscure one. It's the way of the cross. Is this not what God wants for not only Pastor Adam this morning as he accepts this call to ministry and as you support him? Is this not what God wants? The ordinary, really, the ordinary that we find God in the ordinary things we do every day. It is the way of the cross. Uh, Jesus was sometimes in big places like the temple and other places. But Jesus conferred distinction upon Israel by walking the highways and byways of life, by just doing the ordinary thing. Amen. May God, who comes to us in the things of this world, bless your eyes and be in your seeing. May Christ, who looks upon you with deepest love, bless your eyes and widen your gaze. May the Spirit, who perceives what is and what may yet be, bless your eyes and sharpen your vision. May the sacred three bless your eyes and cause you to see. Go in peace.